gonna make me do a lot of editing, aren't you, Julie? 19, no, 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 19, 19, lesson, no, no, 19. Lesson one, brand strategy for manufacturers. Yeah, that's such a boring name. Okay, what do you... Well, I just want to say. What do you want to say? I don't do you, know. Well, come on. 19? Are we on 19, Jim? Yes. We are. Yeah, we are on 19. One of the things we always say is you have a couple behemoths in your marketplace and you got the little guys and all we're trying to do, each and every one of us, is move that needle. If we move that needle where the big guys are saying, hey, who's kicking at my heels? And the little guys are saying, I want to be that guy when I grow up, then we're all doing good because we're all making money, right? I think what people miss out in is understanding who are the people that are influencing your target audience. What are the publications they read? Not what you read, what do they read? What trade shoes do they go to? What associations do they belong to? Because if you can market to that, then they can market for you. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. Welcome to episode 19 of Making Chips. My name's Jason Zenger, and I'm here in the studio with Jim Carr yeah. and Julie hey, Jason. Poulos. How you doing? Jim, what's episode 19? Episode 19 is called, Hey Manufacturers, What is Your Brand? <laughs> I like it. Thank you for doing that intro, Jim. No problem. So we got Julie with us today. We do. You want to ask me what Making Chips is? I'll tell I'll tell you what it is because we're certainly not making potato chips. No, we're not, or or anything else. I want to do this a little bit differently. So we kind of gave our tagline usually in the past about like what making chips is, which is equipping manufacturing leaders. But somebody asked us the other day who we're talking to. We're probably not talking to everybody that's in the manufacturing industry, but who we are talking to is we're talking to the leaders. And I, I would define the leaders as the business owners of a manufacturing company. The C-level people. The C-level people, yeah. It doesn't have to be the family member. It could be the president of the company, the vice president, but people that are in that executive decision-making capacity in a manufacturing company. Does that sound about right? That's exactly right. Don't I would say the general manager. And the general manager. Well, I would say C-level, mid-level to C-level is our target audience. But of course, we want the machinists. We want those people out there. And anybody else outside of the manufacturing community, if there's relevant information that we're providing to our listeners, you know, we'd love to hear your feedback. Too. Yeah. And also, if we have a listener that's somebody like Fernando, who started off as the driver at Robert Swiss, and but he knew that he wanted to get to that C-level position, that's the person that we want to talk to, too. Anybody that we can equip that's a leader in a manufacturing industry. Yeah. So, hey, Jason, I got some manufacturing news. Do you? Yeah, I do. And we all know how Jim gets his manufacturing news. Jason, how do I get my manufacturing news? You wake up in the morning and Google manufacturing. I, I do. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> we, you haven't even, we haven't even formally introduced Julie yet, and she's already talking. Is it? Longtime fan, big listener. Do you Thank literally you. Google as soon as you wake up in the morning? No, but it's, it's definitely on my bookmarks. So anyway, I did find this particular... I've been seeing these articles lately, and 
I'm seeing a slowdown in our industry. I mean, I heard New York. I'm looking at an article right now that says Philly area grows at a slightly slower pace. And, you know, I've been seeing this from a lot of the about six eastern states. And it's a little bit disconcerting with me. The stock market took a hit, you know, what it was just about last week. It dropped 300 points. And, you know, I know these are just little hiccups in our industry, in our economy, but it's still at the end of the day kind of bothers me a little bit because I don't know if they're authentic news or what. And I don't know if they're relevant to our particular industry or it's just commercialization of news. Do you want to talk about, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that, Jason? On what, how, how do you feel about all these articles that are out there that says manufacturing slows at a, at a slower pace than expected? Yeah, it, it's actually funny. I just got back from a, um, from a business meeting in Dallas and... We had a presenter and he talked about some of the economics of what's going on in the manufacturing industry and how, you know, what they're projecting is that there's going to be, you know, a 7% increase in the manufacturing industry. Specifically, this was related to tooling and machinery purchases, but obviously as machining companies increase their production, they're going to buy more tooling, they're going to buy more machinery. But one of the things that he said that they did not take into consideration that made a big impact is the price of oil. So the price of oil significantly impacts these things as much as we don't think about it. It really does have an impact on the growth of our economy. And I'm not, to be honest with you, economics was something that it was not my forte. So I, I can't really comment too much more than that, except to say that when they make these projections six months ago, they don't take these other factors into consideration. I agree. I just thought I'd, I'd touch base on it real, real quickly because it's it's something that kind of bothers me a little bit, and I always see it, and I just thought I'd comment and uh, get it into the manufacturing news. But I am so thrilled to have a very, very good friend of mine. and I got two varies. She got two. In the studio today with us, I know you're excited to have her with us too, and uh, I would like you to introduce my very good friend. Julie Pullis? Yes. She's okay. here with us. So... Julie Pullis is vice president at Red Caffeine Marketing and Technology. Julie is what we would call a seasoned veteran. And I don't know if that's pepper or if it's like some other kind of like steak seasoning, but she's definitely a seasoned executive. One of the things that that definitely resonates about Julie is that she likes to connect people. So, you know, when you first meet Julie, you introduce yourself to her and she says, I know five people that I want to introduce you to. <laughs> and she makes a big impact that way. And, you know, Jim and I talked about those types of ways to, you know, to really connect with people in one of our podcasts when we talked about the power of networking. In addition to being just a networker, Julie is actually very smart as it relates to the cutting edge of marketing. So what Red Caffeine does is that they help manufacturing companies determine their strategy, their branding, they help them to be technology forward and just in general help them with their marketing. And Julie is, um, you know, She's the one that connects everybody um, at Red Caffeine to the manufacturing industry. So did I explain that well, Julie? Fabulous. And I just want to make mention that I'm your friend too. Yes, you are my friend. <laughs> Why don't we get into the podcast, Jim? Okay, great. So what is it called again? This podcast yeah. is called, Hey Manufacturers, What's Your Brand? Got it. Hey. Right. Hey. So Julie, welcome. Really a pleasure to have you here today. Before we go on and get to the meat and potatoes of this podcast, which we're going to talk about brand and you know what does that mean to manufacturers i got to ask a, a question how did red caffeine get that name where, where did that come from because that's who you work for it's a different kind of name it's great you know you, you your company has a great 
corporate culture. Uh, all the people that work there are cool. Tell me a little bit about Red Cafe. Oh, I don't know where to start. There's so many things. So starting with the name, Jim, Jason, you both know, and, and actually Ray's sitting over here too. We recently rebranded a, a year ago. We went through a business divorce. And I think if you look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see one of the things that I talk about is that why I think I've been able to successfully connect people is because I share my failures as well as my successes. And I shouldn't even say failures, really challenges. So last year, Red Caffeine went through a challenge that only made us bigger, better, and stronger. So we separated businesses. We had kind of two divisioners of our businesses and, and we uh, separated those. And one of the most challenging things for us was for Kathy and I, the president of Red Caffeine, was our name. We were not emotionally ready to give up our name. Now, everybody else in our company who is a little bit younger, vibrant, maybe less seasoned in age, but not in spiciness, um, really wanted to kind of, you know, cut out that old and go with the new. So finally, Kathy and I were like, yes, it, it, you know, there was a lot of reasons where we we're going to cut those ties with the names. So during the divorce, we had something that we called Culture Club. And on Fridays, we felt it was very important to make sure our staff was emotionally healthy. You know, you don't realize sometimes you have all the information that it doesn't always trickle down. So we'd get together a Friday afternoons, late in the day, pop open a couple beers and make sure everybody knew where we were at and everybody was happy and started planning and getting excited for our future. So one of those times, the original eight, we called ourselves the original eight, and we were talking about what our new name was. So we were all charged to come in with three ideas of what our name, and we whiteboarded them as we would do with other other you know of our clients and so Jimmy who you all know is our strategist and pretty much extraordinaire all-around dude he came in with one piece of paper in the confidence that he has and he's like I have one name this is it and take I, it or leave it and I bought the domain what was interesting is we all voted on our top three and the only name that got a consistent vote from everybody was red caffeine Great. so one and done and the story behind it because I really think it's important when you talk about your brand what's the story about your name or your logo or your iconography supporting that was red was part of our old branding color so that was kind of an homage to who we were and and you know we kind of call ourselves a 10 year old startup so that was, a, and it was a great, we had a great business, great name recognition in the market, hence one of the reasons why we were struggling with giving up the name. And then caffeine, so many ways to go with this. And I don't even know if you ask different people in my organization what they would say. First of all, we've got a whole bunch of, you know, caffeine snobs, I like to call them. I am probably the only tea drinker there, yet I don't really need a lot of caffeine. So No, you don't. No. <laughs> So, so that was one of the things. But most importantly, I think, is we fueled businesses. We gave businesses a boost on so many different levels. And that is, you know, Jim, you're always really complimentary of our culture. And that really is who we are. And so it just, it spoke to all of us. Well, you know, Red Caffeine, it really is a cool name. And I think that you know, sometimes I get a little jealous and, you know, Jim, I don't mean to like, you know, insult you or bring you into this, but like no. the name of my company, Zenger's Industrial Supply and Car Machine and Tool. I mean, it's kind of boring compared to Red Caffeine. I mean, let's be honest. It is. It, it, it's, a, it's a little, it's a little, little meh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I think that yeah. that was, that was part of the culture of when our companies were started was that you branded the company, your last name. I kind of want to make mention to this for everybody in their businesses and their brands. You know, one of the things I think that helps us 
be successful with companies is we've gone through, we're business owners, we've gone through the same things that people have. And we were frightened. We were frightened that our name recognition was going to be gone. Um, gone or, or, or uh, suffer from this change and instead it only fueled us that's awesome so we sent out our first email communication to talk about this this launch and can i tell you how much we were able to reinvigorate old business that came back to light how many people were supportive of so us so can a manufacturing company rebrand rename their their business you know what i go back to Let's ask the customers. That's And that's what I think we're talking about today predominantly is why is strategy so important? And we don't want to live in a vacuum. Jimmy, who we were referring before, he always says, we don't want to live in a vacuum. We want to really talk to different people internally and externally and make decisions on data, you know, not right. on inference. Right. Well, it's so, not only data, but like what your customers say about who you are. That's exactly, exactly what I mean. Exactly so, what I mean. So manufacturers and marketing, it's like, oil and vinegar together. They don't know, they're scared of it. Tell us, let's start engaging this conversation with what is branding? How does a manufacturer even begin to start thinking about their brand and what they're all about? Because let me tell you, growing up in a small, closely held manufacturing company with a owner, founder, president that was um, mentoring me in the business, we had nothing. I mean, we had no marketing budget. It was nothing. He wouldn't even let me put an ad in the in the yellow pages. That's how bad it was. So, just begin on, on a very at a ten thousand feet level, Julie. Why don't you just tell our listeners how do they begin to even think about branding their company? Well, the first thing we like to say is first thing is to admit you have a problem. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> And then moving on from that, you know, it's more than just manufacturing. I think it's generational. And, you know, we all were very used to getting business from our gentleman handshakes and business came. And then all of a sudden, this thing they call the World Wide Web that is pretty much here to stay, that really made a huge impact on the way we have to think about modern marketing. So when you talk about the challenges, and I know, Jim, you like to talk about the pain and that people Where's are experiencing, yep. which is true, is in my world as a marketer who just simply wants to help expose who you are and make sure everybody knows that you're not the best kept hidden secret. You know, you didn't get, you know, let me say my elevator pitch. My elevator pitch was that, you know, we like to make you look as cool as you are. And we want to make sure you sound and communicate what your value is to the people you're trying to reach. And then lastly, we want to shout it to the world. So you're not the best kept hidden secret. That's one of the pain points that always come up for me. People say, you know, we're so good in quality and we're really, you know, competitive on price and, and we're so great on on-time delivery, you know, but we're the best kept secret. And everybody thinks they have the same problems and they really don't. Don't. They all have very similar problems. So the first thing is to understand what you look like. And, and uh, what's, what, what we look like to who? Our customers? Your brand image. Okay. Your brand image. Okay. And how you present yourself, whether starting with your logo, because that's the first thing that we talk about. And second, you know, really all of your, your, your website and anything else that represents you. Let's be honest. We make fast 
quick decisions. We talk about 140 character, you know, attention span Sweet. on Twitter. Yep. Well, that's pretty much how we, I look at you, I look at your shoes, which are fabulous Thank and you. your socks and, you know, guys look at their, at cars and watches, you know, girls just check out everything, but we make snap decisions on how we feel this company is going to be. And that's really what you have to think about as your company and your brand. What does your brand look like? Honestly, if you look at your Google analytics, let's see how many people click on and bounce off of your site. So they're making a snap decision based on who what they you are. see, boom, from that less than a second that they're on your site or seconds. And just look at it. Look, you know, people want to look at certain amount of things. And I don't know if they're always looking to the right things. I think one of the right things is to look at page views, the amount of length in terms of a page view. So brand, let's just dig deep into this brand thing, because remember, our our listeners aren't very marketing savvy. They don't really understand a lot of these sexy marketing words. We need no, we really need to. Most of our listeners are busy making chips, making parts accurately right. and on time with a high amount of quality that marketing is just it's, it's like it'll just happen. You know what I mean? Like people just find out about me and, and that's. But how do they it doesn't find necessarily out about happen? You. And, yeah. and then you kind of say, "So how's that working out for you?" Right. <laughs> and that's usually and five when or we six get the years call. Go by. Right. Exactly. <laughs> because the phone's not ringing anymore, and right. the emails aren't coming in, and that's exactly why. So, brand from what you've said already, it's it's what your images, how do your customers and vendors or anybody else for that matter, when they look at you, what do they think? What is that first impression? And that translates into your logo, your website. That's the first brand image. Experience. Ex that's the first brand experience. So beyond that, what's the second level brand that they need to look for or what, to need I don't focus know if it's on? first or level, second level. I think what happens is I just want to share like when people come to us, you know, you go to a doctor and you say, you know, what are your symptoms? So the symptoms are, I think everybody thinks they want a new website. And then we kind of turn around and ask them, like you, Jim, we're like, well, wh what do you kind of like want to be when you grow up? What do you, what do you want to look like? What do you want to portray? And more importantly, what do your customers and prospects need from you? And how are you different from the, you know, we have a very noisy world. So how are you different from your competition? So for us, we're not in the website business. We're in an engagement business. And the first thing we do when we talk about brand strategy is look at your competition. And it's it's always an interesting topic for people. Sometimes they say, well, we don't have any direct competition or we, you know, there's always an excuse, but you can get so much by really trying to look at the people that you're up against. What do they look like? What is their message? What's their differentiator? How are they positioning themselves? And where do you stack up? For us, it, that's a great place for us to start. The second thing is, Jason, you alluded to it earlier. What do your customers think about you? Exactly. And let's break down that, okay? So first of all, we, we like to talk to, and you should talk to current customers, lost customers, prospects, and the different buyer types engineering versus procurement all right industries totally. you know all of this again fuels us and some of the things that we ask in those interviews really shape how we're going to go about to design the brand story which really designs the user interface of your website i remember when you and i first talked about you coming on this podcast and i wanted to make the podcast about what every manufacturing company should have on their website and you're like no 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 that's not where you start 
you need to talk about who you are as a company, talk about your strategy, your who branding you are, what you do first, what you do best before we right. even yeah. go there to redoing your website. So I appreciate you saying, no, that's not the right place to start. Well, you know, I think let's talk about the, I think I have like five things that we do in terms of brand strategy and, you know, culminating to what the plan is. Anything that is worthwhile is strategic, right? Whether it's your sales strategy, whether you're going to buy a piece of equipment, why would your marketing be any different? I, I don't know. You know, this is the biggest piece of how you're going to grow your business. So the first thing, like we mentioned, is, is competitive analysis. The second thing is really trying to understand what your target audience needs and wants and how you can position yourself. The third thing is really taking a good, strong look at your online analytics and understanding who is coming where and all of that information fuels you to make really good decisions. And the other thing we like to look at is the influencers. I always joke about that you are definitely too young, Jason, but Jim might be more in my age range. Jim's older than me. <laughs> just a couple years. I'm just saying. I love that this is radio. No, I'm just kidding. So so does anybody remember the Fabergé commercial? And they told two friends and so on and no, I so don't. on. Yeah, I do remember that commercial. I do. I don't. I, I don't remember what it looked like, but I do remember that dialogue. Yes. Well, the important thing is, I think what people miss out in is understanding who are the people that are influencing your target audience? What are the publications they read? Not what you read. What do they read? What trade shoes do they go to? What associations do they belong to? Because if you can market to that, then they can market for you. So that's probably another, the Ambassadors. fourth element of what we look in the research a part of the um, strategy. And then what do we take from that? The first thing that we do, and this is probably gonna be a foreign term for some people, is buyer persona types. All I can say is what we do is- What is a buyer persona type? Well, that is really dissecting the information that you obtained and breaking it down into a fictitious type of character of what a, a procurement person needs versus an engineer versus, let's say, a CFO. Because sometimes you're talking to the three different right, yeah. audiences, or you wish you were be talking to the three right. different audiences. So when you're talking to them, what we try to ascertain is where is their pain? What is their knowledge of your business? What is their perceived objection that they might have to you and I say perceived because oftentimes you know for myself people think of me as a marketing company not a technology company or they think of me as a technology company and, and not, not a marketing market. company yeah. or and just a company that makes websites exactly right and, and, so can we yeah. step through like those five points one by one I think it's I mean important. I think I think it's important to do what, this. What, yes. what was the first point again competitive analysis okay so you do a competitive analysis okay so who's that, your competition okay so who's your competition if I own a machining company Company, I need to say, you know, do I sell locally or do I sell nationally? And if I sell, if I sell locally, who are my local competitors? Let's let's kind of say both. So let's first of all look at who you're going to against head to head, okay? And let's see what they look like, how they position themselves in terms of verbiage, in you know, look and see what their capabilities are. Not only capabilities, but how are they communicating their differentiator? So if you're the buyer, you always try to put yourself in the buyer perspective. If you're the buyer and you're looking at you versus somebody else, what's the first thing you see and who am I going to connect with? I, if I own a machining company, I would like to say, okay, if I'm competing with this other company, I do five axis machining, they don't. Maybe they do assembly work, but I don't Maybe do that. I'm ISO 9001. Maybe, yeah. And they're not. Exactly. Because that's how I always think. When when I think of the my differentiators, I think, 
well, what do I do? What do I scream? What is my brand image? And let's talk people... about what's not true. Right. How many people position things that they're in an industry that they're not in? Or I remember an example of a, a client of ours who, who their competitor said that they were so green and they really had this green initiative. And when you came right down to it, they were really good at PR, which I'm a fan of. <laughs> but but that was but so they were it's throwing the plastic positioning. Bags in the garbage it's the position. Can, yeah. Well, and you got to know who you are. Like so, as an example, so I have many customers in the in the machining industry and. A lot of them call themselves job shops. So Jim calls himself a job shop. I do. And I have other customers that call themselves job shops. And these other companies, like I'm, I'm just thinking about one in particular, they have, they do grinding, they do EDM work, they have turning, milling and everything. Well, you don't necessarily do those same things, but you have other advantages that you bring to the table. So you need to look at how your position, what your capabilities are and be able to, you know, position that to the customer. So and I think it, my position is way different than everybody else. You, so, yours is. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. And there's capabilities and everybody has equipment lists, but really comes down to what is that quote unquote elevator pitch that's saying, because you can always find a way to skin a cat. So you might job shop it out to somebody else. So really, what are they saying? So the first thing is competition. The second thing is looking at um, doing those key stakeholder interviews internally interviewing people. That's what we do. What do you mean by key stakeholder? Oh, this is a good so, one. Yeah. So the first one is internally looking at um, talking to anybody who really within your business who has a customer touch. Sometimes we forget that our best cap knowledge resources are the people right in our four walls. The second thing is we like to talk to current customers because we want to kind of get their feeling on what they're really happy about. We want to talk to lost customers. And this process is so invigorating. And I want to talk, I'm not going to say this right, I think, but you know, I know you have to do ISO things to be able to say that you've surveyed your, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really talking to them. I think sometimes we have a third party advantage that they feel like it's a little bit anonymous and so they can really They're gonna tell to you things that they're not gonna tell me. Exactly, Absolutely. sometimes. Absolutely. But even if you don't engage in somebody like us, Jimmy, what's your favorite thing? Authentic, if you authentically call them and it's not an ISO survey, you know, bull stuffy thing. You're gonna call them up and have a conversation right. about it. And you wanna, and some of the questions that we ask are very simple. You know, what do you know about us? And, and a lot of people have um, four or five things that they do or four or five industries they're in. And what are you, where are you missing that opportunity? Well, I didn't know you did that. If I knew you did that, I would have worked with you. So that's the first thing. If you had to like really talk about what you thought we were, you get to find out. You might think that, you know, you're really competitive on price and, and they might not. Sometimes in our findings presentations, there's a few aha moments where you think we all think we're something, but until you ask somebody, you don't, you don't know. And then we talk to, and it's so funny because. So like, I, I'm sorry to jump in here. No, so like as, as an example, so like a customer might, they might go to somebody else other than car machine and tool when they want something that's really inexpensive. Turning. Or just something really inexpensive because when they think of your company, they're thinking well, his very brand, high his level. Brand is really his, high. His, his brand is a very or high level quality. Or they might not think quality. that Jim does small parts, but he does. Right. right. So, I mean, I think we all get, that's what I talk about a perceived objection is he only does big parts, but he also does small parts. Or he's only going to be do high quality stuff, but he really, hey, we all do, we all do stuff that makes us money. Yeah, you don't, hey, Jim, <laughs> what, what's, you're, you don't have to hold your tolerances to this nth degree. Absolutely not. You could do like a little bit of a lower quality. That's part. our niche. That's what we right. do best. Right. However, we certainly do tolerance of plus or minus right 10, so you 000. so the customer you have to go to the customer and say what you know what's the 
what, what is your perception of, of the company? That's really, and you don't want to have a ton of questions. You just want to have a couple questions. We want to know, you know, do you know that this company does everything? Um, what's your perception of them? Do in you the want to do everything though? No, of what you do. Right. If I sell five things, then I want people to know I sell five wanna, things. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, it, that that's you're talking more about a business decision right. about am I going to be everything for to, for everybody? This Which is, is about a bad it, business decision. <laughs> but but if but if you do five things, then I want everybody to know that I do them. So that's the first thing. The other thing is this becomes a unique sales touch. We also talk to lost. Um, business and prospects. I think that's. I think that's great. That's and huge, again, the question huge. set is similar. So that's number. I forgot what number we're on. That's that number two. two. The third thing is taking a really deep look at your online analytics. And if you can't do that, then get somebody who can do it because that's knowledge that's only going to really behoove you to make decisions moving moving forward. Okay. So what if I have no online analytics? What if I don't even know what that means? Well. Yeah, because I, can, I would say, then I would think a lot of our listeners, I mean, does. I, I, you, I find, think a, you yeah. find somebody that can, there's tools that we use. There's simple tools yeah. that you could build into your website so that you could start getting those online analytics. And we have super secret spy tools that are completely legal, I like to say. But I mean, there's ways we can get information. So you want to know, information. am I getting one person a day looking at my website or am I getting a hundred people a day looking at my website? Is that what you're talking about? Jason, analytics? I think it depends on, it really depends on the, what you're trying to get out of it. There's a lot of information that you can get yeah, from analytics. Yeah, that's like a very basic level, right? And I think that people get overwhelmed by analytics because they don't know what to look for. And right. that's why you talk to somebody who right. says, what's your goals? We always start at the goals and that. So that's number three or wherever we're at. Number four is the influencer identification. Where are we going to get the biggest bang for our buck? Who are the people that you're trying to get and where do they go for influence and what's that part of that decision making process and then the deliverables kind of of strategy is then let's take all that information and let's analyze it and let's talk about it and let's have feedback you know the other thing that we do is look at people who are benchmarks you know one of the things we always say is you have a couple behemoths in your marketplace and you got the little guys and all we're trying to do each and every one of us is move that needle if we move that needle where the big guys are saying, hey, who's kicking at my heels? And the little guys are saying, I want to be that guy when I grow up. Then we're all doing good because we're all making money, right? Absolutely. So influencers become a big deal. So the deliverable is then let's take this information and let's categorize our buyer types. And we talk about this previously. So engineering versus procurement versus maybe a CFO or somebody in that who's who's a decision maker. And what are the things, the pain points for them? What are the important things for them? What's their trigger to purchase? So we develop a buyer type. And, you know, Google it. It's buyer personas. This is a very important thing it's, that, it is. you know, our our listeners can really pay attention is the buyer persona. And I, I don't think that they should be scared away no. by that term buyer persona. No, they should it's embrace it. They should embrace it. I, I, and yeah. I think that when we talk with Ray from BuyLink, I think that that's a great example of a buyer persona because his buyer persona is an engineer and he wants to catch that e engineer. EDE, e yeah. Uh, engineer to engineer. And he wants to catch that engineer at the very forefront of developing their product. I could say for certain that it's not Jim's buyer persona. No. That's, but not, that's, where that's not my buyer persona. I do. That's where yeah, Jim wants to grow to. That's, that's the, where everybody wants to grow to. You want to be talking to the people who are influencing the decision. Influencers. The purchasing agent, the procurement agent, isn't necessarily influencing the decision to go right. to car. But definitely the engineer is because they work with me. They understand me. We talk the same language. Right. But you need to understand if your main buyer persona is the purchasing agent, you need to understand that person. 
Yes, yes. Absolutely. absolutely. You have to understand how they want to communicate. You have to understand what's going to be relevant. You know, what, what information they need. Content. Because I'll tell content. you what, an engineer and a purchasing agent need completely vastly different, different. information. Totally. Completely different. And one's technical, one's not so technical. And let's just be honest, everybody. Just again, it starts to admit you have a problem. Most of us are sending out the same email to everybody. Why? We could be taking the bulk of that content and then versioning it to what's important to the procurement guy versus or gal <laughs> to to what's important to the engineer. Marketing is very important. It is. I'd love to hear some success stories too that people yep. have, have heard so we can share with our... First of all, let's be honest. It's about sharing. Let's share things that worked and let's share and be honest with things that we're struggling with. And that's the feedback I'd like to see from this podcast. Let's talk about the problems that we share and that could really shape future podcasts. Absolutely. I agree with you so much. So anyway, thank you so much, Julie, for being here today. It's an absolute pleasure to see you and be with you. Pleasure and, uh, is truly all mine. Makingchips.com slash 19 and you'll get all the links that you need. And I think in closing, there was something that Julie was the most important thing for her to say this entire podcast to close us out. Bam! This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. I know what my brand is. And, and we are. And we all know what your yeah, brand I know. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's full bodied. It is. Full bodied. Full bodied calf. Full bodied manufacturing. Okay. <laughs> Good thing I love you guys. <laughs> Brought to you by Harry Lucas. Full bodied calf. <laughs>